2: Welcome back to Open the Voice Gate, Rewind and Rewatch, Episode 47. Covering Revolt 2014 from the uh, Queensboro Elk Lodge in Queens, New York on February 22nd, 2014. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling feed or on the dedicated Open the VoiceGate feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can follow us on Twitter at Open VoiceGate. If you'd like to donate to the show, just click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our RedCircle.com landing page. You click the red box that says sponsor this podcast, and you can do a one-time or reoccurring donation. No obligation whatsoever, but I would like to thank all of our previous donors. I'm one of your hosts. It's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears. Joined alongside, as always, my co-host and good friend, Case Lowe. And Case, we have entered the final year of Dragon Gate USA. Well, it's the final calendar year of Dragon Gate USA. And we're back to some familiar stomping grounds, but the world around Dragon Gate has gotten really wild in the winter and early spring of 2014.
1: Yeah, we're down to the final four. I am kind of sad about it. And watching this show, I guess in a way it was kind of uh, almost an old yeller situation where I was like, okay, maybe it's time that this project dies. Maybe, maybe after Revolt yeah. 2014, I think we've we've seen where this is going. And I think uh, I, I'm looking forward to next week's show because there's some stuff that I remember liking on that show. But yeah. This is a very, very interesting promotion that really feels like it is crawling towards death. And At the time, I don't think anyone involved realized that there were only going to be three more shows after this. I think, certainly if you ask the management of Gate USA at the time, or even some of the wrestlers, things were trending in a down direction to a point of no return. But the fact that... There are three shows after this, and then Dragon Gate USA is done, and so Mike and I will obviously be covering those three shows, and then we'll do at least one wrap-up and aftermath episode, maybe two, because I've got a bunch of topics planned for it. It might take a while, but yeah, we are we are coming down the backstretch of Dragon Gate USA Rewind and Rewatch, but Mike... Primarily for our timeline this week, we've tried over the past 46 episodes to really give the listeners an understanding of what else is going on in the wrestling world to contextualize where Dragon Gate USA was at in the pecking order and what members of the roster had gone on to do once they left the promotion. And we are turning things back all the way to beginning this week, Mike. We have a ton of news to talk about when it comes to the man, the myth, the legend that is. Davy Wesley Richards.
2: There is no one in this, and this whole entire project that has provided me with more unintentional mirth and just like intrigue. And I, and I was following everything pretty actively at this time, but like, I don't think people realize how much of a tremendous weirdo Davy Richards is. And if anything. if there was anyone who's going to do a supercut of Davey things on the show, I feel like that we, if anything, the supercut of Davey Richards as it revolves around 2009-2014 just makes me so happy. So, Case, what did Wesley do this time?
1: So, around this time period, there were three names in Ring of Honor that were rumored to be moving elsewhere, and those three names were Eddie Edwards, Roderick Strong, and Davey Richards. Now, the rumor at the time was that Dave Lagana, who had either just joined TNA or had just been promoted in TNA and now had a lot of power, and I don't know what the answer is, but the word going around, and Dave talks about this in The Observers at the time, is that Lagana wanted to do yet another rebranding of TNA, and they were going to enter into a new direction and a new era for the promotion, and Lagana wanted to build around Davey, Eddie, and Roddy. The thing is, Davey has a million things going on at the time, and it begins to get really bad between him and Ring of Honor. We've talked throughout this show about how, specifically in late 2011, towards the tail end of the Cornet run, and into early 2012 where he's having legitimate problems with Kevin Steen while they're working a world title program together, that Davey Richards is really unhappy with the Sinclair-owned and operated Ring of Honor. Davey has said on record to him Ring of Honor is carry owned Gabe-operated. He's now living in the Sinclair universe, and it's not really working for him. So what happens is we enter November of 2013, Davey works on a Ring of Honor house show, The Golden Dream from Cincinnati, Ohio, which is actually a real standout show from this time period. I'm assuming because this is a Sinclair show that it's on the Honor Club gimmick, and I would recommend checking it out. But Davey works ACH on that show. It's an awesome match in a really cool building that Ring of Honor didn't run too many times. They go out there, and they kill it. Two weeks later, Ring of Honor runs another Midwest double shot. And Dearborn, and Columbus, Ohio. On the first night, Davey loses a singles match to Roderick Strong, and on the second night, Davey loses a tag match with Eddie Edwards to Outlaw Inc. of Eddie Kingston and Homicide. Now, this was all building towards a match at Ring of Honor's final battle, which we'll talk about a little bit more in depth next week, but the match on final battle was going to be the American Wolves versus Jay Lethal and Roderick Strong, and it was, I believe, billed as the American Wolves' farewell, because no matter what happened after that show, they had given their notice to Ring of Honor that they were going to be moving on at the time. But what happens is, a few weeks before ROH Final Battle, Ring of Honor announces publicly that Davey Richards will not be booked on the show, that they are essentially revoking his invitation. And it all goes back to an interview that Davey had done with the British wrestling magazine Total Wrestling, And I will read you some of the quotes from this. This comes from the Wrestling Observer Newsletter on November 25th, 2013, where Dave says, The key quotes from the Total Wrestling interview were, When asked if ROH changing the tag titles on three shows helped the tag team division, Davey said, Nah, those belts don't mean anything anymore anyways. When asked about the iPay-per-view issues, Davey said, I don't care. It doesn't bother me. If they can't get their crap together, that's their problem. I just worry about showing up, doing my job in the ring, and they can do whatever they want with that stuff. It's their deal. When asked about the ROH singles title, Davey said, In my opinion, that title has been devalued vastly for the last few years. The booking of it has been really substandard and screwy. It helps guys get bookings when they're holding it, but it's kind of a death touch because you work hard to get it, and then it's like you realize how screwy things become, and how the booking is so screwy with it. It's just like a piece of metal, unfortunately. It has a rich history. I mean, look at the guys who have held it. Most of them, most of them, have been very deserving in my opinion. When asked about if TNA is sold, because at the time there were rumors that Dixie Carter was trying to sell the company, when asked about if TNA is sold, would more talent from Orwich go there? Davey says, who's even in TNA? No idea. <laughs> apart from Aries, Joe, guys like that. Oh, and TJ Perkins, but they've got him wrestling as some stupid skeleton man. End quotes. <laughs>
2: dv rules but like <laughs> god like if we want to compare and contrast this to the last time that he left roh and how he ended up with dg usa and evolve as it started pretty much just saying the same things just completely running it down and he's just running it back here case and it's tremendous like of course he doesn't care about the i pay-per-view issues do we think that Davey Richards has ever ordered an IA pay-per-view in his
1: life? <laughs> oh, my God. Of course he hasn't. It's it's just, it's unreal how scorched earth he goes in this interview as a contracted talent and a pushed commodity. Like, it's it's still 2013. They've reunited the Wolves, and Davey, him showing up to Independence, I think, still really mattered at this time. He was just coming off of... A UK tour, which I, I kind of directly associate the foundation of that UK boom, maybe some European listeners might disagree, but I credit two guys as being Americans that went over there and really made people take notice of that scene, one of them being Davey Richards, who had just wrestled Zack Sabre Jr. and Tommy End, and Dave Mastiff, who was kind of a first-wave UK indie star. The other being Colt Cabana, who I just I think because of his podcast and the fact that he was over there all the time, they really drew attention to that scene. But Davey still mattered to the independent scene, and he goes completely scorched earth in this interview to a point where Ring of Honor pulls him from the shows. Now, Dave notes that none of Davey's heat was with the wrestlers. Even by this time, he had made up with Kevin Steen and they were cool. He just had a unique hatred for, I guess, partially delirious, partially Joe Coff and just that entire Sinclair office. And I should it, not oh, go, go
2: ahead. I was going to say, it's wonderful. And something worth keeping in mind at one point, as we talked about on the show, he got a massive, massive raise from Ring of Honor, to like to the extent that basically was at least a two times raise coming back into the company. So this isn't like someone who's being bitter and not getting paid well and not getting booked. This is one of their biggest f- feature acts, just deciding to salt the earth on his way out.
1: He was a tag team champion that summer, so the thing he was referring to with the tag titles was Red Dragon won the belts from the Wolves, or I'm sorry, from the Briscoes at the anniversary show in Chicago, which we talked about. That was the uh, the real formation of Scum as a super unit, and then the television tapings that we spent a lot of time on talking about the shows in 2013 and how poorly they drew. So from there, the belts go from Red Dragon to Forever Hooligans, who win the belts at a TV taping in Providence, Rhode Island. Two weeks later, the Wolves beat Forever Hooligans on an all-star extravaganza show, and then uh, two weeks after that, the Red Dragon beats the American Wolves in New York City, and then from there they go on to have a tag title run. So the Ring of Honor played Hot Potato with the tag belts. I remember as a fan thinking it was actually kind of interesting, because that Forever Hooligans win— was something that no one saw coming. It was a, a television tapings on Providence, Rhode Island. The hooligans were just popping in from New Japan, and they ended up winning the belts. And it was it was kind of exciting, but Davey did not seem to think so. And I should note that he buries Impact at the end of that that interview. He debuts in Impact Wrestling on January 16th, 2014. Which Do, <laughs> do you remember his TNA debut? Well, if
2: I'm right, was this before or after... Uh, I'm trying to remember what, what their names were. Oh, we're, we're getting John? to that.
1: It's, it's, uh, it's after, my friend.
2: Okay. Okay. Uh, no, I don't remember what his debut was then. So no.
1: the, the TNA debut, which as a fan, I remember at this point, I'm still watching Impact Weekly, but I it was like appointment viewing this week because I knew the Wolves were going to be on the show, and their debut is that they are walking down a hallway, and Dixie Carter confronts them. And basically says, like, oh, I've heard so much about you guys. How about you guys get a tryout match next week? And Davey essentially goes, no toots, we signed contracts already. And Dixie Carter is annoyed with them for doing that. It is such a gloriously stupid way to debut uh, the team that would then go on to be the Wolves and Impact Wrestling. I mean, I, I, I like to believe that that segment sounds like a shoot, basically. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, Mike, what you were referring to was the American Pitbulls debut in NXT. This happened, it was taped on November 21st and aired on December 18th, 2013, if you'd like to find it on the award-winning WWE Network. This is when the American Pitbulls of Derek Billington and John Cahill showed up to Full Sail University on a, a single episode of NXT. I'll run down this full card. It was Sami Zayn and Tyson Kidd defeating Antonio Cesaro and Leo Kruger. Page defeating Sasha Banks, The Ascension defeating the American Pipples, and then an NXT title Lumberjack match with Bo Dallas defeating Adrian Neville. That is not a bad hour of TV, Mike.
2: No, this was when NXT was a very easy watch. They were on Hulu. This was pre-network. And it, you know, I mean, this was just like a wild thing that, and then Davey coming out of this was more wild about than ever. It's just the fact that, They had basically a—and it wasn't even, like, a squash match, right? Because the thing during the Ascension match was they were just running through people. But the Pitbulls put up, like—when I say it was not a squash match, it still was, like, four minutes long. But it wasn't just, like, three moves and that was it.
1: Yeah, it's a four-minute match that was certainly pushed at the time as one— Tenzai, Lord Tenzai, it's on commentary, and he is constantly pushing the fact that these men are known around the world and that they were stars in Japan. And two, they give the ascension, compared to everyone else, kind of a run for their money. And this is, you know, a a promotion that, again, you've got Sami Zayn, you've got Antonio Cesaro, you've got Neville working in the promotion now, but the Pitbulls, or the American Wolves, are still in that first wave, really, of indie talent that is being brought into the promotion, and not only indie talent that's being brought into the promotion, but indie talent that is being promoted as being stars outside of the world of the WWE. So this match happens. What's notable here is there are two things. One, Dave talks about in The Observer at this time how the Wolves had originally been booked to do, I think he said two or three television tapings. Yeah. And this is the only time we ever see them. And I have heard rumblings, nothing that I know concrete enough to say exactly what happened, but I think there is some anger on both sides as to maybe the Pitbulls not taking things home as quickly as they should have. Maybe they were trying to get their shit in. And then the other thing is that David Richards in this match takes a bump straight to his neck.
2: Yeah, yeah. And the story was that Davey Richards never wanted to work for WWE. (laughs) He never wanted to try out. It was because Eddie Edwards wanted to give it a go. It's like, yeah, I'll try out there. And of course, Davey just then decides to have a match against the orders and then gets hurt. You know what I mean? That's Davey for you.
1: Yeah. It's crazy to think that Davey wrestles his last ring of honor match in November of 2013. Eddie wrestles his final ring of honor match in December of 2013 And as of this recording in February of 2021, they have not been back. That's insane to me.
2: Well, I mean, have you seen Eddie Edwards lately in TNA? (laughs) Unfortunately. Impact? Yeah, I mean, and, you know, just seems like that whatever heat they had, and I mean, Impact pretty much took care of both of them, so it makes sense.
1: Yeah, so... Impact takes care of them. Davey Richards, on the other hand, because of this neck injury, does not take care of pro wrestling Noah. Davey was booked on essentially a farewell Noah tour that had been hyped up for quite a long time. Remember, we talked about this in, uh, I guess it would have been the... Third anniversary, or I guess the fourth anniversary show episode, where Ring of Honor had booked Ishimori and Marifuji for a pay per view in Canada. Marifuji got hurt, had to pull out, so they put Paul London in his place, and Davey ends up wrestling London instead of Marifuji. Well, they now get to a point where they want to book Davey to come back to Japan. He hasn't been in Noah in so long. There was a lot of bad blood there when he left. They want to bring him back. They want to have him wrestle Taiji Ishimori for the GHC Junior Heavyweight title on the December 7th Akira Tawe Retirement Show. And Davey Richards, now Davey says that Noah decided to unbook him after Davey hurt his neck in the NXT match. That's an interesting way of going about it. I don't think that's what happened, but bottom line is Davey does not show up to the Noah tour.
2: I mean, you're disrespecting Akira Taue for one. And two, come on Davey. We know the we know the thing there. It, 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 it's such a Davey Richards thing to say like, "Oh, I hurt my my neck on an XC thing. I'm not going back to Noah after all these big things and for a big Noah show." Like that was that was not a Budokan show for Tawe, right? That was a Sumo Hall
1: it was a uh, not differ Ariake. What's the one that's bigger than that?
2: Oh gosh. It's the one that you own.
1: the uh, Ariake Coliseum. Is that it?
2: Yes. Ariake yes. Coliseum. Yeah.
1: So yeah, that was, that is where that show was. It was Tawei's retirement show and Davey was supposed to wrestle Ishimori, which in 2013, that match would have been incredible. Are you kidding me? And unfortunately it does not happen.
2: Uh, did just, so I have this out there. Uh, Ariake Coliseum, not the one owned by Noah, that was different. Ariake. Ariake Coliseum still exists, and it seats 10,000 in Koto Ward, Tokyo.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, does anybody run there? I don't know the last time I've seen a show there. Ah, uh, you know, I mean, it's been
2: open since uh, 87. So, like, the, it has had places run there, but no one, like, people, like, run that. Like, it, it seems to be a place that people will run instead of sumo hall and of course like right now no one's going to run it you would think that ariaka coliseum 10k right now you just easily have that get 5k there for shows for tokyo-based promotions but it does not seem like it's a thing it also has a retractable roof
1: that i do not know that is very interesting a it's place a tennis
2: that- <laughs> arena
1: <laughs> a place that does not have a retractable roof mike the flyer skate zone in Voorhees, new jersey And this is our next stop on the Davey Richards Tour of Debauchery as December 14th, 2013, the same night as Final Battle at the Hammerstein Ballroom. Obviously, Davey was unbooked from that show, so he shows up at Cage of Death in a show that opened with the CCW World Heavyweight title match between Drew Gulak and Chris Hero. More on Hero's Whereabouts that night next week. Uh, the other notable stuff on that show, there's uh, god, it is a bad, bad looking card. I guess the Beaver <laughs> Boys versus the Colony, that match sounds all right. And uh, I mean that Cage of Death match was a four on three handicap match between the Nation of Intoxication and Drew Blood, Matt Tremont, Ron Mathis, and Rory Mondo. I don't yeah. I don't think that sounds good. But Davey's on the show, and in seventeen minutes he loses to Chris Dickinson which, uh, another match I would really like to see in 2021, but the important stuff that comes out here is that Gabe Sapolsky is in attendance at Cage of Death 2013, and they basically shot a video of of him and Davey kind of staring at each other, and then AR Fox cuts a promo on the Book It Cam and says that he wants Davey, and all of a sudden there are, are, are rumors that Davey Richards is headed back to Evolve Wrestling, and it really begins to take shape on December 26th in a at USA newswire when Gabe says... The bottom line is I just don't feel comfortable advertising Davey Richards, especially for a main event title match on Evolve 25. So we will go with this compromise. Evolve champion AR Fox will have an open contract at the Evolve 25 live eye pay-per-view at www.live.com from Ebor City, Florida on January 10th. If Davey wants to show up, he can sign the contract. If not, I'm sure someone else who will be a strong challenger for the title will emerge. The scheduled Roderick Strong versus UHA Nation match will now be a title sh- or will now be a match for a title shot of their choice in the future. Mike, I have to say this is not a bad idea by Gabe to not officially announce this match.
2: Well, I mean, he's done stuff like that before, right? Yeah. Like the whole scene appearances and all of that. And he knows his audience to this degree that everyone who probably was willing to watch Evolve in 2014 and knew about Davey coming in probably had heard or like remembered, oh, there's some bad blood there. So I think that that's actually a pretty crafty bit of booking and PR right there. I think that that was pretty I, – I I think that's actually a pretty compelling way to set up a show that you're having in Ybor City.
1: Well, I kind of think it's a shoot. I mean – Think about the amount sure. of times Davy. I mean, Davy's canceled off literally every promoter ever, and, and you know the the opposite effect is Gabe Hype Machine gets going. You know, Gabe exclamation mark, and he's promising Fox versus Richards, and then it doesn't happen. Gabe has a whole thing uh, in, in the news wires, not in this one, but in, a, in one from around this time period about how he. He's sick of getting flack for never booking Loki versus Samoa Joe 2. He could never trust that that match would happen, so he didn't book it. And that's why he's not announcing Davey and instead doing this open contract thing. I think it's a, a great angle in one part of Gabe's mind. And on the other half, I think it's kind of a shoot angle. And I and I don't have an issue with it. I thought this came across well in the newswires.
2: Yeah, no, I feel like that this this is also a time that I know that in this series, we've been willing to be very critical of Gabe Sapolsky. But at this time, up until the whole situation, DGUSA came down. He was very open about these sort of things. And it was kind of refreshing in a day and age where PWG at that time, it was like everyone knew Super Dragon was booking it, but he wasn't really like a figure that was going to talk about his booking decisions. And then you look at the rest of the Indies, it was kind of refreshing having Gabe out there being honest about things in a way that like was relatable, I would say, for the fans and, and really his patrons
1: more on that next week very interesting you say that there's some stuff in the newswires about the brooklyn show that i think really speaks to that mike i should let you know january 6th in the drangit usa newswires gabe announces that the wwn live family has upgraded to hd cameras and equipment gabe says all eye per views will now broadcast worldwide in hd widescreen starting with the Evolve triple shot in Florida that we're just about to talk about. He says, This upgrade is all because of you. When you support us, we put your investment into making the products and brands better for you. We will show our appreciation by bringing you this HD widescreen upgrade at no additional cost. The iPay-per-view prices will remain the same. In addition, we will now have a wireless router on hand at all live iPay per views to serve as a backup to the hardwire building internet connection. This will be a safety to make sure we bring you the smoothest broadcast possible. These are significant upgrades for our small business operation. There are no multi-million dollar companies supporting the WWN Live brands. We are the definition of mom and pop. Going to HD widescreen will open more exciting doors for all of us. So what are your thoughts, Mike, on it being January 2014 and Gabe Sapolsky just now upgrading to HD cameras? I mean,
2: how de- how in-depth should I go here, Case? Okay, so we're we're going to produce this on the fly because I can give the quick answer or I can give my really in-depth nerd answer.
1: I, you know what? Give me the in-depth nerd answer because I don't have a ton to say on Revolt 2014.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no. Uh,
1: So HD
2: is something and i think this is something that we're going to see across all of uh tv and it was easier to go from 480i 480 p up to 720 but it still took a lot of money and a lot of investment and the thing with like this production stuff and when people like were shooting things like this actual broadcast cameras i don't think a lot of people realize this but like the cameras you would see at like sporting events like those kind of cameras that are able to send out the signal to the truck that they're able to put up the satellite through fiber optic and could put it on your television set those are completely different cameras than what Gabe Sapolsky uses or what to be honest most independent wrestling uses because you don't have to send that feed does that make sense yes so there's a huge price difference case when I say a huge price difference I remember seeing because at this time I was still heavily involved in production. I would see prices for an HD camera when HD first was getting off the ground, HD broadcast camera for six figures. That's a lot. Yeah. So, And as always, it eventually trickles down to, to your consumer and what's called professional consumer or prosumer. So the fact that this happened this late, it's something that I always knew, but it was always something that, I mean, HD content, I mean, I don't remember exactly when uh, Netflix did HD streaming, but there was already streaming options there that we'll talk about in a little bit that the the company that was at the forefront of that is MLB Advanced Media, MLBAM. And they were the ones that were doing all this thing. So it was difficult for a smaller mob and pop using Gabe's words to put out these kind of things and have the sort of... Uh, infrastructure in place so for as much as cheap as Gabe is and as much we railed against it I understand the value decision about not getting these cameras before 2014 but also by the time that they came out in 2014 the cost of these cameras came down just uh tremendously like several hundred dollars basically for those cameras which is completely different a, it's a completely different uh, value proposition than it is for your tv networks like WWE for a long time it was USA NBC or whomever would either provide the cameras or pay them back for all this stuff because that is like when you're talking about like a TV production that has at least seven cameras I mean you're getting close to a million dollars just for the cameras alone if you're not borrowing renting or there's some agreement there so it's all stages like this and it's worth noting that when I was watching the city I was like oh yeah it's in widescreen and it's either the version they took off the website or the version that is out there was not, it was very clearly not a 720p version. It was 10, 16 by 9. It was widescreen, but it was not a high definition.
1: Well, Mike, not only do they have new cameras, but they have new talent. As Roderick Strong was announced for the Evolve triple shot in Florida around this time period, we'll talk about him next week as he wrestles on a Dragon Gate USA show. But Mike, Roderick Strong does not end up wrestling on those Evolve shows. As on January 4th at a Ring of Honor television taping, he takes a Styles Clash on his neck, and Gabe announces on January 9th, the day before the first Evolve show uh, that weekend, that Strong would have to be pulled because of his neck neck injury, but he would still be in attendance. He was, at that point, scheduled to wrestle Uha Nation on Evolve 25. That match would happen later that year at Evolve 34. On Evolve 27, he was scheduled to wrestle Johnny Gargano. We will get that match next week in Brooklyn, the real bummer here is Evolve 26, and I did not remember this. The main event of that show was supposed to be Roderick Strong and Rich Swan, who were teaming together in FIP at this time, versus the Young Bucks, and we Uh-oh. never get that match, and that is a real bummer.
2: Yeah, no, that match would have rocked and This was the start of Is the Styles Class Dangerous? Uh, discussion. <laughs> One of the big Twitter discussions of 2013 into
1: 2014. Yeah, uh, by all... All accounts, one of the worst discourses, one of the worst discussions I've ever seen on Twitter. Just a horrific waste of time. But what's not a waste of time, Mike, is these Evolve shows, which I've still got a bunch of stuff in the notes. Uh, there's just uh, so much happened with Davey, and then there's just so much other stuff that I thought was relevant this week. It's a long notes section, but hang with us because I think it's worth it. But we're going to run down these results for Evolve 25 through 27 Because I think, and again, I wrote the History of Evolve article when it was announced that they had been sold. Evolve 25 to me, if you are looking for Evolve shows to watch, perhaps maybe the network is going to upload a bunch of the old school Evolve shows. Evolve 25 to me is the kickoff of what I consider to be the golden era of Evolve. The same way that people talk about Ring of Honor from like 2004 after Feinstein through 2006, you know, ending at final battle, probably when Homicide wins the belt. If you take Evolve 25 through Evolve 67, and I looked that up today just to be sure that was the show. That is my favorite run of this promotion. It starts with Evolve 25, which was a five-match show from the Orpheum and Ebor City. Gabe had this new philosophy yeah. of it. instead of, you know, throwing three squash matches underneath that mean nothing like he did on the last Dragon USA show, let's just book five matches, let's give them all time, and let's see what works. And he hit it out at the park on this show. It opened with Trent defending the FIP World Heavyweight title against Tony Nese. Nice. That match went 23 minutes. There was a five-way fray number one contendership match where UHA Nation beat Caleb Conley, Chuck Taylor, John Davis, and Lince Dorado. Then Ricochet defeats Chris Hero. There was a six-man tag with the Bucks and Rich Swan defeating the Bravado Brothers and Johnny Gargano. And finally, Mike, your main event, AR Fox retains the Evolve title over Davey Richards. After the match, Richards looks like he's going to cut one of his typical end-of-the-show Davey Richards promo, but instead he spits on the Evolve title and says he's better than everyone and that that whole locker room can kiss his ass.
2: Davy, Davy, Davy! <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, I remember Gabe doing an interview on Wrestling Observer about him wanting Evolve shows to be five matches each. So that was like his big thing was like hey we're going to do five matches and we're going to get like five good matches you know which also to me if you, if i look at this i'm like oh that also means you can cut costs a little bit especially considering a couple people who are on this show who would not be on very many shows after this
1: yeah so from there i actually actually note real quick there was a note in the f4w that the show with Davey did the most buys this weekend, so Davey Richards hashtag confirmed draw. From there, they go to Orlando for Evolve 26. This had Mia Yim versus Sue Young, Lindsay Dorado defeating Caleb Conley, Chuck Taylor defeating Maxwell Chicago, the Bravado brothers defended the United Gate belts against Dos Bendohos, ricochet defeats trimperetta a.r fox and uha nation defeat johnny gargano and john davis chris hero defeats anthony nice in your main event a one night only ronin reunion where the young bucks defeat chuck taylor and rich swan i remember ricochet versus trimperetta being really really good
2: yeah uh i've not watched these shows but looking at what's on the shows there like that by far out of everything other than that that kind of uh Perfect Strangers trios match the night before are the things that kind of call out to me on these shows, other than, of course, Davy,
1: Of course, Davy, And then the weekend concludes in Jacksonville, Florida uh, at Evolve 27. I should I should note real quick, Evolve 26, that is the show where not only does Trent Barretta join the Premier Athlete brand, but also that is the show where Gabe Sapolsky kicked a basketball and got mad at the Bravados, the Young Bucks, and Chris Hero for playing two and a half hours before Evolve began. <laughs> if you're a wrestling brother, historian that wants to know that brother i was selling
2: out the tokyo Dome <laughs> last week <laughs> one of the best lines in high spot shoots history the second uh kevin Steen show with the young bucks where they talk about this it's it's really worth it, it that one might be worth your 9.99 right there just just to watch that one shoot because it's tremendous because the manic attempt that these three men had for gabe at that point was tremendous
1: I will let the listeners in on a little secret. If you read my History of Evolve article on com, I took the liberty to download that shoot interview, edit the Gabe Sapolsky hates basketball story down, upload it privately to my YouTube account. And I hyperlinked it into the description when I talk about the shows this weekend. If you would like to hear that story, you have to dig for the article, but but it is worth it. And then the weekend ends in Jacksonville, Florida, like I said, with Caleb Conley defeating Lindsay Dorado. So Conley's push continues uh, that the other stuff that matters here. Rich Swan defeats John Davis. This would be Davis's final appearance for Evolve and Dragon at USA for quite some time. There was singles matches scheduled between Nick Jackson, Lance Bravado, and then Harlem Bravado and Matt Jackson. Nick versus Lance happened. It ended in a DQ and a wild brawl. That was really entertaining. Uh, and then a no contest, obviously for Harlem and Matt. And that is the final time we see the young bucks in WWN live. They leave the territory bruiser Brody style, not doing the job, but doing the no contest, which I really, really respect. And then the show concludes with Chris hero over Chuck Taylor Anthony Nice and the newly premier athlete brand joined Tremperetta, defeating AR Fox and Ricochet, and then Johnny Gargano retaining the Freedom Gate belt over UHA Nation to close that show. So a really, really strong weekend of shows for Evolve. Mike and I had talked at the start of this project about if we were going to review an Evolve show or not. Mike is a sick person, wanted to review Evolve 10. I refuse to do that. <laughs> if we were going to have reviewed an Evolve show, it would have been Evolve 25. So I really, I, I, again, I know it's a long way to get there, but I wanted to spend some time and talk about those shows because I think they were super, super important. Mike, do you want to talk about the WWE Network for a second?
2: Yes. So the, the to uh, part the curtain a little bit, every time... For like the first few uh, months of this project, I would always include WWE Network notes to Case in case we say, hold off, Mike, hold off, hold off. And it was something where these documents, I, felt, I feel bad for Case. They, they at, at one point, it was what, 30 pages I would send you?
1: It was a lot.
2: <laughs> it was like a full dossier I would send you. But then of course, uh, the Observer would stop covering this and it kind of got to a point now where we independently search for stuff. But I never deleted all of my WWE Network notes. And at this time, I, I'm i going to say if you subscribe to the uh, Patreon, the uh, the Voices of Wrestling flagship Patreon, Rich is doing a tremendous series talking about the rise of NXT as it relates to the WWE Network. I've sent him some stuff for that. But in 2014 at the CES, on I believe it was January 9th, I'm just going off the top of my head, they finally announced the WWE Network. And it's kind of ironic now, Case, that, we're, that, that we've that we been doing this show and we're getting ready for me to talk about this this entire time. And, of course, the WWE Network will cease to exist in the United States by the end of this month. So, But, <laughs> but like, the crazy thing about this was, and Rich has talked about this, this is something that WWE, the McMahons, have wanted to do for almost 15 years before it actually happened. Like... That they first wanted to have a cable station, and then, of course, all the sports networks popped up and they wanted to have one. There's a time period where they looked into buying the tennis channel. Like, a lot of tennis references on this. This is some real David Foster Wallace hours here. But the, the thing about the network was it was launched officially in uh, February of, of 2014, and this was something that had huge ramifications because, as I talked about earlier about broadband and streaming, it was such a fledgling time. And that's something that I found very important. Now, in retrospect, that we got a chance to really talk about the the initial days of i pay per views because really, for a lot of people, the history of streaming wrestling starts with WWE. When that's clearly never been the case, and I feel like that's one of those things that sadly gets ignored. But they basically blew up their entire uh pay, their their entire pay per view model and did lasting damage to not just themselves but the entirety of the industry they never have made back money on the network when they get paid by NBC Universal for Peacock they will finally will be in the black eventually for the WE network and that's not even including the fact of all the money they gave up by pulling everything off pay-per-views but this was something that like they've been wanting to do for a long time like initially they were wanting to do in 2012 but it took eventually until 2014 to do it it was something that it was such a big long build out. Like they were gonna launch it in twenty twelve and then twenty thirteen and then eventually they decided to do it in twenty fourteen. But it's one of the more formulative times in modern wrestling history. If we look at wrestling dating back to the old Carney Hooker days, this is one of like the I would say one of the top 15 moments in wrestling history. Just because of how drastically the business changes. Like not just like the business as the overall quotation marks. Uh, the business but just overall because now and since then over the 6 years or it will be almost 7 full years that they have the network um uh, it's gone away from being primarily an events company like Dragon Gate still an events company New Japan mostly an events company everyone else that you would consider a major is a content company and a lot of that is because of you can't really sell these events anymore when you're just getting 999 or your TV rights deals are accommodating for about two-thirds of your revenue so i just wanted to touch on it a bit it is one of the more important things and the way that they launched the network was insane because they did this talk at ces which is this big consumer entertainment expo it's one of those things that at least for my industry and things like this ces is a big deal because that's when everything else really gets announced for like technology wise and all of that so the fact they came out there and something that i i uh, know rich did not bring up do you know what they gave people as a door got as a door prize at the ces in 2014 case
1: no i don't
2: everyone who attended the press conference got a free chromecast oh my god <laughs> so <Wow. laughs> it, 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 am i wrong am i overstating it when i say i think that like, this was just like one of those huge events that we're only now really reckoning with how big it was like It would be up there with, like, WCW closing in my mind, just because of, like, how drastically the landscape changes because of that.
1: Well, let me read you what Gabe Sapolsky said in the January 10th Newswire, because he kind of frames it back to independent wrestling. But Gabe says, and I quote, Everyone is talking about the WWE Network, and rightfully so. It is an out-of-the-box game-changer. WWE is basically sacrificing its DVD and pay-per-view revenue in an effort to gain leverage to negotiate sky-high TV rights. They believe their future business model will depend on TV rights fees and not the traditional DVD pay-per-view market. They might be right, this might backfire on them, but either way this is the gutsiest thing they have done since the late 90s and the biggest game changer since Vince McMahon wiped out the territories and went national in the 80s. I'll pause there, there's more to this, but that first paragraph right there, Gabe nails exactly what this is, he totally gets it.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, it completely changes thing. Of course, the rights fees thing, when they announced the network, the TV companies were pissed, and they actually, they were promising shareholders a 2x or 3x increase and ended up only being like 1.7. So it did have it, like, long-term, Gabe is dead on there. But short-term did not turn out immediately as anyone expected.
1: Gabe goes on to say, so where does this leave independent wrestling? Promotions like Drangit USA, Evolve, Shine, and Fall Impact Pro are as mom-and-pop as it gets. WWE is Walmart, the WWN Live family, is the neighborhood grocery store that prides itself on delivering the highest quality and most personal service while adding to the community. We are dependent on your DVD, iPay per view, and ticket sales. There will never be a huge TV deal in our future. You can see what happens when networks get involved. A subtle shout out, Ring of Honor. Then we wouldn't be who we are, so we are not in a position to take the gamble that WWE is sucking us all into thinking we have to take with the WWE Network, just like Walmart did to the mom-and-pop. Uh, World Wrestling Entertainment is giving you a product at a price that the small guy can't compete with. It's their goal to use all this content for $10 a month to bump up subscribers and then leverage that into more TV fees. In the process, they are lowering the price expectations consumers have for DVDs, pay-per-view, iPay-Per-View, similar to what Walmart did for a loaf of bread. Now, we can whine and cry and beg for your business because we deserve it, and Gabe says in quotations, because we bring you good wrestling, or we can do something about it. We can get fired up and figure out ways to produce a more interesting, exciting, creative product to you. This is our attitude going into Evolve this weekend, which was the Florida shows. Whether we like it or not, WWE just aggressively changed the game. They are taking a major risk in doing it balls to the wall. We must adapt to keep your support and interest evolve or die. I gotta say, Mike, reading this back seven years later, knowing what the network is just about to become with Peacock, Gabe nailed this situation, and it it's almost impressive. It's actually super impressive that Gabe hit all these talking points that now seven years later are exactly what happened.
2: Yeah, he hit those points, but in a lot of ways Evolve didn't evolve or die. They just lucked into a situation because of how long Gabe has been around and already had a very advantageous, I think we've talked about this before, if you worked for Ring of Honor and you got a contract out from WWE, you couldn't take it. It was contract tapering. Impact in WWE just didn't happen. However, if you worked for Gabe, he had something in everyone's contract saying if you got contracted by, if WWE shows you interest, we will release you so you can sign up WWE. So I have a little bit of a, I don't even call it beef. I have a little bit of a, of a nit to pick with that but overall like looking at the landscape he's not entirely wrong and it's interesting how the indies would evolve from like this moment into something that was bigger than it ever was since the unless you want to consider indies uh, territory the territory age is a similar thing but the indies as big as they ever were in 2019 and 2018
1: i will say this and at this point you know they're obviously sinclair backed but i don't think Ring of Honor has ever figured out a way to deal with the $9.99 price point change. And I think that has been a tremendous issue for them over the past seven years. They were, even in 2013, DVD, 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 by the house shows, by the pay-per-views, by the iPay-per-views, they have never really figured out how to adapt to this price point. Do you think that's a fair statement?
2: Yeah, and I also think that Some of that also is the fact that they are part of a much larger conglomerate that wouldn't give them the tools to adapt if the wrestling people so cared to adapt, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, well— We've got a few more Drangate USA notes. I'll make these super quick. January 29th, Johnny Gargano versus Shima for the Open the Freedom Gate title is signed for Revolt 2014. Gabe says this pits the man who has held the Drangate USA title for over two years against the Drangate icon. The storied history between these two started at the first anniversary show in 2010. They have waged war and battled for respect. Now they will finally collide for the Open the Freedom Gate title on February 22nd. This is as big as it gets in Drangate USA. And then Gabe goes on to announce a preliminary card that featured Johnny Gargano versus Shima, a non-title match between AR Fox and Drew Gulak, the rematch between Rich Swan and Trent Beretta, and Anthony Neese versus Biff Busick. On February 18th, it is announced that both Rio Saito, who was the other Japanese name book for this show, and Biff Busick will be unable to compete due to injury. Saito got hurt at the February uh, 2014 Cork and Hall show, and was out until October. It was a serious back issue with him. Busick, I do not know what his injury was, but it kept him off of these shows. And then on February 21st, Gabe has an email, a newswire that uh, reads the full story on Shima, where he announces that Shima will not be on these weekend's cards. Essentially, he's had back issues, and he doesn't want to do 30 hours of travel and work two really hard matches as he was booked against Gargano, and then the Brooklyn show, it was slated to be the loser of Gargano versus Shima, which would have been Shima against one of the members of the Premier Athlete brand. So at that point, either Anthony Nice or Trent Barretta. That doesn't happen. Shima says, I, I'm not up for it. And we get a Dragon Gate USA show that ends up with a Dragon Gate talent being booked. But at bell time, there were no Dragon Gate names announced for the show. And then my final note is that Gabe says on February 21st, Johnny Gargano versus Trent Barretta for the Open the Freedom Gate title has been signed as the new main event in Queens, New York. We'll give you an inside tip on this one. This was planned to be the top match for our fifth anniversary show this summer. However, we're going to hotshot it now to give Queens the best possible main event. Mike, what do, you, what do you make of that announcement? One, that plans were in the works for a at USA fifth anniversary show and that Gabe is now saying he is going to hot-shot this match to give Queens the best possible main event.
2: Well, I guess, and this is something that I only want to cursory talk about versus on our big debrief episodes we're going to have, but wouldn't you, unless the visas would have expired between then and WrestleMania weekend, wouldn't they already have to be dealing with visas at this point? Like, that, that that's very optimistic and they should have been like neck deep in all the visa drama already at that point. So I question that, but moving our gar- move, moving Trent to that title match. It makes sense. It's not, it's a cold match and it was going to be cold regardless, but adding that in is like a nice little nibble for the fans. At least I, I, I get why Gabe did that. I was trying to put people's uh, thoughts uh, or trying to put their worries to bed by saying, Hey, this is something we were going to do down the line. But because of circumstances, we're going to do it now. Just so you know, this isn't a hot shot. This was something that was going to happen and we were going to build to. But we feel like this is the best time for it right now.
1: We've talked Davey. We've talked Evolve. We've talked The Network. We've talked Shima. We've talked about a Drangate USA show that at bell time had no Drangate talent on it. Mike, I am finally ready to review Revolt 2014.
2: Yeah, let's review Revolt 2014. As I said at the top, this was on February 22nd. 2014 from the Elks Lodge in Queens, New York. We open up with Tim Donst defeating Chris Dickinson with a reverse spinning neck breaker and the first match of the new talent initiative and, and the first match of DGUSA's, uh, history in 720p.
1: Yeah. Tim Donst was a name. I I know, at least on my end, I remember thinking that ring of honor should have picked him up because he was a guy that could talk. And that was kind of his deal. He was a Chikara guy that I don't, I don't know if work rate was ever really his thing. He was a Chikara guy that turned into an AIW guy. Yeah. I also know that he briefly had cancer and then returned to CZW and CZW booked him as a heel, which I thought was one of the funniest things they ever did. Uh, and then Dickinson at this point, you know, he had worked on those first four evolve shows and then had done a dark match at United Philly back in 2011 But at this point, as a non-entity on the independent scene, he's still a year away from the Kimberly incident, and then, you know, gosh, three or four years away from being a regularly push act in Evolve. But, yeah, this is not a a way that I would have opened up a Drangit USA show. This was two clunky, out-of-shape guys doing a bunch of moves.
2: I guess, like... Uh, Tim Dons I'm more familiar with because of his Chikara thing, and he always was out of place wrestling wise because like he came in he was supposed to be like this freestyle wrestler that like then they had Chikara booking and he turned to be like a deep agent and then he turned then he went out into the cold and became a member of the BDK. But he was a pro guy. He first really got over because Brody Lee uh, gave him a concussion in that match, <laughs> the, 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 the famous match. and he was like known as the guy who could take a beating, but just was out of place there. Uh, Dickinson, like, I was aware of Chris Dickinson at this time. I always kind of, I've always liked Chris Dickinson. I've always thought that he provided something very interesting and had, and he's someone that, like, even though he's not the Chris Dickinson that really came about in 2017 on, I felt like that he looked good here. I thought that t- Tim Daunts looked blah, and this match just kind of went on forever. Like, that was the thing about the show. the show was still, like, three hours long because they felt like that this match should have 13 minutes, and no, no. It was just kind of there. Uh Dickinson was was fine here, but it just didn't need to go so long, and it just was, like, meaningless. Like, this match is—if this match did not happen, the entire history of DGUSA would be no different.
1: It's like they learned nothing from Evolve 25, which was a hot show that got really good feedback, and then they did the opposite of that show with this opening match. And I said last week about the Ricochet versus Anthony Neese nice match— my like general aura of this time period is, wow, it USA matches that would go for a long time with not a lot of heat, and Dickinson and dance especially at this point in their careers, not exactly Nice and Ricochet, and certainly living up to that long match with not a lot of heat mantra.
2: Yeah, yeah, the crowd could not care less here. Uh, I went two and three quarters, and I feel like that might be a little bit generous here, because it, it was a competent match, it just was not a match that should have happened here on the show.
1: Yes, I think that's fair.
2: And in the post match, uh, Larry Dallas comes out. He's trying to recruit him. He says he's going to get the scene back together. He's just got to co- talk to Kayla. But then the two of y'all in the scene, we could co- because y'all deserve the main event. And imagine a new scene with me leading you, Tim Dance and you, Chris Dickinson, and I'll get I'll, I'll get Kayla back on board. They both promptly refused, and that was all we saw of Larry Dallas here. No Trina Michaels on the show. Just Larry Dallas out there, trying to get more people to sign up with him. And I'm sorry. Uh, larry just not working out for you
1: yeah I, that is an angle that i think at this point is overshade it's welcome it was kind of cool when he was trying to get caleb Conley back but him trying to recruit other guys did nothing for me here
2: that's right uh then we had a shine offer match case we, we had a lot of matches that had differing stakes that they had onto it it was some gabe being gabe thing this was a shine after match elite defeating sue young with the yoshi tonic
1: um uh, what were your thoughts about it? <laughs> so this match is fascinating because there are times where this match is kind of good because Eva Leese is like a legitimately good wrestler when she wants to be. The problem is that Eva uh, at times has the ego of Davy Richards without being Davy Richards in the ring. I, there were moments where I was like, "Okay, yeah, I kind of, I kind of am into what they're doing," and then. I don't know what the spot is in the middle of the match. And I should note this with 16 minutes, which I'm sorry, that is way too long. I wouldn't Insanely trust... Insanely long. I wouldn't trust Evilise in a 16-minute match now, and I think she's good. And in 2014, I I can't fathom giving her more than eight minutes. But the thing is, I, I don't know what they're trying to do, but right around the halfway point, this match falls apart, and they kind of start to jostle with each other, and not they don't do the Fry Takayama spot. They look like they do a really bad, like, slap trade-off. I don't know what I, I don't know what they're trying to do. It doesn't look good. And from that moment on, Eva looks like she quits on the match. But there's still another eight or nine minutes left, and it's just Eva not caring. And Sue Young, who I think has been awesome as the secretary of the Puma Athlete brand. I'm sorry, I don't like her as a wrestler. I've never Soo Young's career is very strange because I really think she kills it with Niece and Mr. A. And I just, I, nothing else uh, it really clicks for me and Soo Young. So there's some good moments here and there's some bad moments here. I'm at two and a quarter stars.
2: Yeah, I'm at two and a quarter. Uh, the match peaked when Evelise took a bump onto the basketball floor here. And yeah she's fine in
1: 2014. Sue is almost passable, but not good. So I feel like she was better here than the last time I saw a Sue young match, which I don't know what to make of that.
2: Uh, trying to think the last time I really watched a Sue young match, it might've been before her last shine attempt at WrestleMania Orlando. That might've been the last time when she (laughs) first started doing the probably
1: the last time I saw one too. (laughs) Yeah. So
2: just not very good. It just was not bad enough for me. Like, to get below two stars, I'm like, Joe, like, it takes a lot for me to get below two stars. Two stars for me is passable, and the brawling was fine. Like, they just, like, brawled for, f- for like, seven minutes, and East hit the Yoshi Tonic. we'd probably be talking about a three-star match here, but no, that's not the world we live in.
1: No, that's the thing. Like, Ivelisse can beat the shit out of Young all day, and it's going to be fine. It was just too much of that, and then the kind of Yoshitonic code red finisher that really looked more like a glorified sunset flip, this was, this was rough.
2: This was rough. And then we had Caleb Conley versus the surprise Dragon Gate USA debut of Yosuke San Maria. Yosuke San Maria was not announced, and Yosuke San Maria made the trip. I guess that they were able to pass Yosuke off as Shima and use the (laughs) plane ticket. And Caleb Conley won with the gory bomb into the O face. And yeah, Yosuke San Maria in America. How should we talk about this case? Well,
1: well, I, I, I can say this. So the Maria gimmick we talked about in the last show it debuted in November of 2013. And like at this point in The Observers, if you read them, Dave is watching all of the Dragon Gate shows because they're on Ustream. They're easy to find. And again, it's uh, around the point of the time where I'm now following the promotion on a daily basis because you've got Monster Express who's over in America. Uh, the Jimmies are still an act. Mad Blanky's an act. And the millennials are are increasingly getting getting over in the West, but that's not really until I think May when they really take off when T Hawk wrestles Tozawa and Cork and Hall. But at this point, the Yosuke act is really new. Uh, specifically, and this is a, a, an anecdote that I think is worth mentioning that that Lenny was using he him pronouns on Maria, which I remember being kind of up for debate at the time as to what the Maria gimmick was and what she was trying to get across. Now we've just accepted uh female oriented pronouns for Maria at the time. I remember that kind of being like, Hey, I'm not, I'm not really sure what the character is going for. And I think that just weirdly dates the match. I don't at least off the top of my head, remember anything Lindy said where I was like, Oh my God, Lindy, come on. Uh, it might've happened. I just don't remember it, but it's, it's weird. I think the crowd wanted to like this. And oh, the, the the
2: crowd was the worst part of this match. I
1: I I think booking Caleb Conley against Maria was a mistake, because Conley's not—like, it's funny, he's doing comedy stuff now in Impact that is that is pretty good, but 2014 Conley, I don't—this was not the right spot for him. And it's weird, you know, this is the only other time—the only other time before this that Conley had wrestled a Dragon Gate talent was the Heat 2012 match where he, he wrestled Shima and Mochizuki— in his entire run in Dragon Gate USA, he gets Shima and Mochizuki, and then he gets Yosuke San Maria, which is crazy to think about. This is just a match that did not work for a number of reasons.
2: Yeah, and I think some of the confusion with Maria was that Maria had a real focused character initially. Maria was in love with Ada, and that's why Yosuke San uh, Yosuke Watanabe became Yosuke San Maria was like getting in touch with that, and then playing an exotico, and really exoticos aren't a thing in the United States, especially no. like in a context where you could do this without it coming off as incredibly dated. So like, this is a match that like, and Yosuke San Maria, y'all listen to weekly updates, incredible wrestler is just at this point, And I'd imagine if Yosuke San Maria returned to the States in 2020 or 2021, we would see less of the panic stuff for lack of better words. And, There's just was most of the match was that, and when it got into wrestling, it was a solid wrestling match. I just gave it a three, and it's just like, yep, I knew this match was coming, and I knew that we have another one ahead of us.
1: Yeah, I'm at two and three quarters on it. Uh, I think Maria really does an incredibly great job of walking that tightrope of panic spots with her usual stuff, and I think putting her in this environment probably made things come across worse than they had intended. It was just a, yeah, just a, it was bizarre. I, I would like to know from Caleb Conley, if he had seen Marie at this point, if he knew what he was getting into, cause it's not, it was just a really strange environment for everything here.
2: Yeah. It was a strange environment. And then the fans like commentary was what it was, especially like given the time period, the character that Maria was like, this is very much an artifact of, this is what it was then. I'm not saying it was fine. I'm not defending it. It's just, this is what it was, but the crowd was pretty heinous. Like, I know you didn't really notice like the crowd was like making a lot of kind of just general homophobic uh, chants during this. I,
1: I did not notice that. Cause I, I will say, I don't know if you noticed this, like the audio on this show is insane. Not good. So I, for match number two, Bryce Rimsburg joins the booth with Lenny and I had to make the decision at that point. Did I want the TV volume to be loud enough to hear Bryce Ramsberg, who was, I, he it sounded like he was whispering into the microphone because his levels were so much lower than Lenny. If I put my volume high enough to where I could hear Bryce, the ring canvas was going to be deafening in my apartment. It was going to be far too loud. So I made the decision to watch the show at a quiet volume, to where I basically couldn't hear Bryce the entire show, and I apologize if I missed the crowd uh, chanting anything fucked up. I did not get that impression from how I watched the show, and I'm kind of glad that I didn't.
2: No, the, you're, 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 you had the better way to consume it, <laughs> I'll say that much.
1: <laughs> it was interesting having to make that decision of, like, do I want to hear Bryce's commentary <laughs> and everything else? It would have been too loud. The I've never heard mixing... Uh, quite like what was on revolt 2014 very very interesting way of doing production
2: yeah yeah i mean the but everything was in was in a widescreen case and <laughs> we were it was being shot on <laughs> hd cameras
1: uh, all is forgiven then
2: yeah yeah so from there we had our first of three title matches this was for the opening of the united gate as the Gentlemen's club of Chuck Taylor and Orange Cassidy got a title match against the Bravado Brothers of Harlem and Lancelot uh, Bravado. Before the match, the Bravados cut a promo about their grandma getting the Bucks suspended for what happened at that Evolve weekend. And anyone who tries to mess with the Bravados or try to hurt Lancelot, who took a pile driver to the floor, they will be getting sued. And they said that their grandma remembers tag team wrestling the way it was with tag ropes. So there'll be no more Dragon Gate rules here. And then. Uh, Lenny had a great line saying, wait, is, uh, is Grandma Bravado Bill Watts? <laughs> and that's, that's what we had leading into this match where the Bravado brothers lost by DQ, so they retained the titles when Moose interfered for the disqualification.
1: So here's a chain of events that happened. Caleb Conley versus Yosuke Santamaria ends. The broadcast cuts to the Revolt 2014 graphic that hypes up the Shima versus Johnny Gargano match. Then the Bravado brothers make their entrance without music because they can't get the sound to work. And then they cut a promo where they start talking and the microphone's not on. And they try to talk and the microphone's not on. They eventually cut a promo that I tuned out of because I'm sorry, I am not going to pay attention when you have tried and failed to use a microphone. It is three embarrassing production gaffes, one after another after another and it is everything that people grew to hate about It usa in like a five minute period
2: yeah yeah and it's just something that like especially considering like how much i love the axle left marching band theme not hearing that and just like awkward silence just gaffs across gaffes. like this is this is late period gg usa everybody it's not necessarily a fun watch, but it's a watch. I'll say that much.
1: Well, this match was not a fun watch. This is going in the notebook as, I think, one of the worst matches in Dranget USA history. I hated this. I hated this with a passion. I thought, you know, I raved about the Bravado brothers on the last set of shows. I thought the Young Bucks match was awesome. I thought they did all right in Brooklyn. I thought they wrestled lazy here. I thought Orange Casty was bad in this match. I thought Chuck Taylor was so checked out. Uh, and he makes a nice hot tag at one point, but the crowd by that point does not care. I hated everything about this, and then Moose ran in for the finish. It made me hate it even more. This just bullshit waste of a time tag team title match ending in a DQ when Chuck Taylor gets speared by Moose and then moose hits like a, a bad pop-up go to sleep on orange Casty, it looks horrible this is a dud all the way around the worst of Dragon Gate usa is exemplified in this match
2: and it's something where like i ended up being a star and a quarter which after i say it takes a lot for me to be underneath two stars yeah no this is a shit match uh when you have something like the bravado's working this kind of gimmick there's a way you could work this gimmick and it could come across so much better than what this was and part of that requires the baby faces to be invested and to constantly be like oh wait they can't get this in and watch them beat up and watch the bravado brothers beat up on Orch cassie but chuck taylor can't get in because now we are not using the dragon gate rules where he'd be able to get in there because there's no running five count for people in the ring like there's ways to work this and it actually be pretty compelling because it's you're five you're four and a half years in the promotion, and now you have someone who's trying to openly tear apart the fabric of the promotion by changing up the rules. And that wasn't it. This was just the crowd was just non-invested, and then Moose came in. I was like, Oh yeah, Moose is here. Okay. And that was that.
1: Yeah, at this point, Taylor is such a non entity in the group, and it really comes across that way. I mean, he is done. After the May Evolve shows, he ends up from there. He goes and does the China shows, and then works the first show of 2015 at Evolve, and then from there he is not back until July of 2016. So we are really at the end of the Chuck Taylor proper run and a Gabe promotion, and rightfully so. Taylor looks checked out. Gabe obviously doesn't know what to do with him. Gabe at this point probably doesn't like him. I the between the production errors. The work of this match, which, again, was not very good, and then the finish, I just hated everything about this.
2: Yeah, this was just a fail when the company couldn't afford to have it a fail here. And uh, Lenny did have, had a pretty funny comment because the crowd did boo the the run-in by Moose, and he said, well, it looks like that this crowd is big fans of the Elks Lodge. They're not a big Moose fan, which, you know, I don't know how many people uh, watching this stream... Are familiar with fraternal orders and city civics, but I thought that was kind of funny. Uh, Lancelot grabbed a microphone, and they said that they warned about repercussions towards the uh, uh, repercussions towards them. The crowd then ch- ch- uh, chanted very unkind things about Moose and Grandma Bravado, and they finished out the promo by saying Moose is the offensive line for the Bravado bandwagon, and that was that. One of the worst things. This is like one of the worst things they've done in several years since Sabu was around.
1: Well, it's everything that the Young Bucks would complain about when it came to their time in this promotion. Where, and not necessarily the production stuff, but it's the production stuff which bothers you and me. And if it doesn't bother you, I I don't understand it because it's really at this point, you know, they didn't have these issues in two thousand nine and two thousand ten. This is a lack of effort and a lack of care. And You go into this match where, again, I don't hate the Bravados tag ropes thing, because it's, you know, again, four years into this promotion, it's kind of a cool idea that they they changed up the, the rules like this, and the Bravados got some heat from it, but it's a poorly done match with just, you know, just an overbooked finish, and it's just, it's so, so frustrating on a show up to this point where I went two and three quarters, two and a quarter, two and three quarters, and a dud through the first four matches.
2: Yeah, this is just incredibly underwhelming uh, show, especially as we're reaching the dying days of promotion. But, Case, okay, so then we have, we have the best athletes battle <laughs> as Anthony Nees went up against Rich Swann, who's one of the best athletes, and they were going to have a battle here. I had to write down that line that this was being billed as the best athletes battle. And Rich Swann got the win with his second rope, Phoenix Splash, on Anthony Nees and boy, the first thing I noticed is the crowd was angry that there was no All Night Long being played.
1: No All Night Long, and unfortunately, I don't think this put the show in the right direction. I also thought this match was incredibly underwhelming.
2: I thought this was the first match on the show that actually felt like a DGUSA match.
1: I have in my notes... I See, I, I wrote it worked... It was worked like a house, uh, a house show juniors match where, I you know, they were working hard in comparison to other people in the wrestling industry, but whatever spark Nice has in 2013 by this point is totally gone. And I think part of that's the booking. You know, he loses to Ricochet on the last Dragon at USA show. He goes one and two in that Evolve weekend he loses to Trent and then he loses to Chris Hero and then he ends up winning a tag match with Trent that final night. But he felt hot, and he felt special, and he felt unique to Dragit USA. And I knew that Ricochet loss was bad news because he is completely cooled off here. And I thought this was a, you know, a fine three star match with he and with he and Swan. I didn't think it was anything special by any means.
2: Oh no, I don't have this in a notebook. This is three and three quarters for me. But I thought Swan sold his ass off and made Nice's offense look brutal. Like especially one of the moves that I've really kind of picked up on over the last few weeks cases, my favorite thing that Anthony does is the running uh, knee in the corner. It just always looks crazy. Cause he takes off like five, like two steps into it. So he's like flying across the ring and doing that. And Swan sold it really well. And then there was like this really gross apron throw going into the finish that, of course, didn't matter because then won went with the, with the uh, Phoenix Splash, but he lands on his on his head on, like, the apron instead of, like, getting hot shot off it. He decides to rotate through and take it completely on his head, and he crumples there for a second, and I thought that was really awesome. I mean, you know how much I love Dumb Spots, K. Yeah, that one was gnarly. Th-
1: that was the highlight of the match for sure.
2: So, there was enough there for me to think that this was a good match, but I, I totally understand what you're saying, like, because you look at Anthony Knees and coming into this project i was like oh yeah anthony he was a part of it i wasn't gonna i i didn't think much of it and then he had such a strong 2013 and then the way he closed it out there and how you laid out his evolve weekend like this guy has no gas whatsoever left in the tank in this promotion at this point
1: yeah this is uh, this whole show up to this point is brutal and it it does not get much better from here
2: yep because anthony anise grabs the microphone he says he hates hip-hop and he thinks that this is ridiculous that he lost here. The Premier Athlete brand does not lose. He know, he's furious about Sue losing here, but he knows how to solve this. And he points at Mister A and says, and basically makes a comment and say, "Because you're a fat guy, that's why we're losing." He says, "Anthony, uh, Mister A," then kind of bows up and gets to his face, and and then Anthony's kind of backs away. He says, "Hey, you just gotta win, and then I'll get you on the Premier Athlete nutrition diet, and everything will be." okay and ready to go and then they kind of go to intermission on that weird weird way to go to intermission and yeah nice feels like an absolute zero now
1: well let let me defend anthony Nice for a second he says he's going to cut the fat in the premier athlete premier athlete brand and then points at mr a it was done a little bit more subtle than the way mike had explained it uh But the issue with Nice here is that in July and November, because I guess those were when the two shows were, the Premier Athlete brand feels like a unique act, and it's a little bit like what I was talking about in, in the match review. That is gone. I mean, Nice cuts a generic heel promo here. He calls the fans fat. He calls Mr. A fat, yada, 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 whatever, whatever. I have never seen stock plummet quite like this It just, it's unbelievable because my impression of Nice was kind of more this era. It's why I've always said he's best served on 205 Live where he is like a super worker in that brand compared to an average worker on the indies. But 2013, Anthony Nice, I'm going like, oh my God, I was wrong. This guy just jumps off the screen. This act feels fresh. It feels new. It feels innovative. And he's back to just being an indie guy now. And it sucks.
2: Yeah, yeah. And then we go to the intermission, and guess what? We actually have videos during intermission. One of them was for the Bravados, and the other one was hyping up other things you can watch on the network. But I fast-forwarded as soon as I saw what was happening here. Okay, so did you watch any of these videos, or did you fast-forward as well?
1: They were still highlighting the Bravado Brothers versus Young Bucks feud, which it's, <laughs> it's interesting because I don't know exactly when— things would have transpired. I know the Bucks were booked in New Orleans for WrestleMania weekend, but they had to pull off. And we'll talk about that when we get to those shows. They they left because of New Japan booking. Plus I think Matt had a wrist injury because I know I'm at a Ring of Honor show where Matt is wrestling in a cast shocker. Great match. Uh but yeah, they never get the blow off to the Bravado Brothers versus Young Bucks feud, which, you know, obviously given my affinity for the Bucks plus the way they work plunder Plus the character work we've seen from the Bravados, I would have really liked to have seen a conclusion to that feud. I think that match probably would have been excellent. And given that it's the Bucks, they probably would have done a lot for the Bravado brothers' career just to be able to have, you know, uh, a little plaque, you know, I had a four and a four and a half star match with the Young Bucks and it saved my career. It seems like that's happened to a few different teams over the years, and the Bravados would have benefited from that. But unfortunately, we never really get the final blow-off. Like I said earlier, the Bucks go out Bruiser Brody style
2: yeah and nothing but respect for that but <laughs> it's just you know like maybe it is the fact that i saw this after reading the bucks book where they're like oh yeah no we know we were done there and that's kind of it so that's why i kind of felt that place where you're not like hey uh maybe gabe thought that things would cool over but obviously nothing did and just in retrospect it just looks like oh wow wow gabe they were already done your promotion you're still running promos for a feud that was not continuing
1: I would have loved to have seen them in New Orleans, because Gabe ran that Tulane Auditorium, which I know we'll talk about, and they were up on that stage, and it just seems like the Bucks would have done something dumb, diving into the <laughs> into the crowd, into those folded chairs or something. I would have liked to have seen that, but alas, we did not get that, but we did get, uh, God, whatever this next segment was. Yeah,
2: so next originally I guess it was supposed to be Fireant versus Shane Strickland, but Mr. A comes out and becomes it becomes a three-way elimination match. The two falls were Fireant was eliminated by Shane Strickland who rolled through a a top rope Frankensteiner and then Mr. A wins after a big splash and this sucked. This just was bad.
1: I'm sorry. I'm not a wrestling booker. I've never booked a show. But if you're going to insist on making this an elimination match instead of a one fall match, even if it's a one-fall match, it doesn't matter. How was the finish not Mr. A pinning both guys at the same time? Why did Fire Ann have to be eliminated so Mr. A could pin Shane Strickland? Why did
2: this have to be 10 minutes and not <laughs> yeah. be like, okay, they each get like a blast of offense, and then he comes in and does that double clothesline, double choke slam? That should have been it. It's, that should have been it. It's
1: inexcusable because Gabe comes from the school of Paul Heyman, and this if this was booked like a 911 squash— I would have not liked it, but it would have been fine. But as it stands, yeah, 10-minute match with a, the second dud on the show. Yeah, just, uh,
2: this is just one of those shows that I was dreading every minute while I was watching this, <laughs> and, and I was like, maybe that's why I was so high on Knees versus Swan, because I was reaching out and trying to grab anything on the show to actually think was any good.
1: Again, we have two matches left. My highest rate of match at this point is three stars.
2: And then let's get into our semi-main event. It is AR Fox versus Drew Gulak. Fox comes out, and he elects to put the title on the line as a tune-up for the hero match he would be having the next time. Probably one of AR Fox's better promos. You know, like, he's, he's having some swag now. You could definitely feel like that the uh, rookie jitters are out of the way, and he cut, like, a pretty convincing promo there. And then right before uh, we we started this match, Lenny Litter on commentary pointed out, oh, so... If you all were wondering, John Davis was paid off by Johnny Gargano over the last few months, and John Davis is not here tonight. I did not know that that was a part of the storyline, and I was watching the promotion at this time. So
1: I don't think, and again, we weren't watching the Evolve shows at this point. Maybe it was clearer there. That is never said in Gate USA. We were confused as to why John Davis was helping Johnny Gargano out. Maybe it came up like I said in the evolve twenty six show Davis and Gargano teamed together. Maybe it was referenced there, but this seemed like a quick out to explain why John Davis was no longer booked going forward. It's funny you caught that. I caught the same thing. I also caught Lenny referencing Solomon Crow on commentary, which weirdly yes. dated this show
2: yeah, like the like a lot of this stuff like you. Like, remember, like, watching, like, the uh, Enter the Dragon and how even though that that show at that time was 11 years old, it still had some stuff there. I was like, no, this show still is amazing. This show, five years later, feels incredibly dated.
1: It's just exhausting. I just—this I, was my match the night, Fox versus Gulak. I think it started really, really slow, but by the end of it, you know, you talked about AR Fox getting rid of those rookie jitters— Fox has such an impressive career and I think because he really hasn't been able to find a proper landing space, not in Mexico, not in Japan. He got into Lucha Underground by the time people had already stopped paying attention to it. His biggest push in evolve really comes at a time where no one's paying attention to it post flow slam and kind of into the WWE takeover era of that promotion. He has been so good now for so long. I mean, really, you know, 2011, he starts getting booked. And by the end of 2011, he's able to have competent singles matches. He looks like a guy that Gabe can use in big spots. And in 2014, you know, Gulak is a push commodity on the indies at this time. He's about to hit, you know, we're we're a few months out from the grapple fuck era taking over. He's the CZW World Heavyweight Champion. and, And I believe at this point already training guys at the CZW school. But Fox is leading Gulak through this match, and it's Fox's big bumps, specifically him taking a fireman's carry from the middle rope to the apron.
2: Oh, oh my God, what brutal. a
1: disgusting spot. That You know, Bryce Remsberg yelled during that, so I actually heard his commentary on that spot because <laughs> his levels were still <laughs> off. But it is Fox just doing his damnedest to make this match worth anything. And it, you know, it paid off to what I thought was a three and a half star match, And it was it took a lot to get there, but I really had to applaud the effort that these guys put in because, you know, they could have been watching this show from the back and gone, okay, we're going to take it easy. But that has never been what A.R. Fox has done. And I I really have come to appreciate over this series just how good he's been for how long. Yeah, and I, I want
2: to propose something to you that this match made me think, please. I feel like this match is the bridge of WWE in history.
1: Yeah, I think that is that is really fair. Explain, but I, I, think, I think we're on the same page.
2: So you have A.R. Fox, the former number one draft pick, top prospect, <laughs> becoming his own man. And you have uh, Drew Gulak, who at least in DGUSA, has mainly existed to be a third to Chuck Taylor and Orange Cassidy. And they come together they have this match that the the first like five minutes of this match is drew gulak trying to find ways to completely destroy air fox because he knows AR fox is a very explosive wrestler and he doesn't want to give him the opportunity to explode so he keeps it close he grounds him and he works the legs and then air fox eventually gets the advantage and he's still taking huge shots from drew gulak but you're starting to see it uh, what you would suspect to be an air fox match so it starts as like a very grounded almost scrapple funk match and it ends like a DGUSA usa match and i really really like this like i went four stars on this i felt maybe it was how much i bought into this idea this is the bridge match but it's just like the little things that drew gulak does in this match that fox who's a great person selling things like, like he makes everything look like he did his dumb uh, leg drop to the apron and, like, even, like, the stuff, like, his throw into the, uh, the ropes, into the turnbuckle, Fox sold his ass off for that, the sick apron bump, and then the way that it kind of just came together, and it was, like, something that when I'm, like, dra- when I'm just, like, drastically, like, flailing and trying to grab onto something on the show to like, this match came, came out of nowhere and made me think. And that's why it had me walk away. Probably This might be my only four-star match of DGUSA in 2014, but I really enjoyed this.
1: Oh, you, there's stuff next week you'll really like. You just don't remember it. But yeah, this is this is a really good match. I fully buy into your your theory here that this is the bridge. It's, you know, Fox the first style battle winner versus Gulak who is the third style battle winner style battle winner. That's hard to say. But yeah, there's there's a lot here to like. Again, I think it's a super impressive Fox performance and and we won't really cover it because it's after Gate USA ends, but His next year in the Gabe universe, before he splits over what Fox called uh, payment issues, I believe was at the time he was saying Gabe owed him money. It's interesting because he really comes across like the veteran gatekeeper on these shows throughout the next year, and that kind of starts in this match. And, And although the promotion is shifting its direction towards a style that is the exact opposite of Fox, I think he remains relevant the entire time he's booked into 2015 and evolved.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's something that it's just interesting to see. Like we already saw the progression of Ricochet. We saw how Kirito kind of found his groove. And I didn't think I'd be watching like AR Fox become like this ring general, but he becomes one and this match is a great showcase of that. Absolutely. So the main event, this is for the, open the freedom gate title Johnny Gargano versus Trent of the premier athlete brand before the match I don't know if you remember this case Johnny Gargano got in the face of one specific fan and that was the fan that had a lot to say about him and to him during the roast and he was one of his two years of this was the two years of hell guy he got into before the match even started
1: I noticed that it was great Gargano who I, you know, we'll talk about in depth in a few episodes when we kind of put a bow on this series, but I am so glad that his heel run has held up the way that I hoped it would because his character work was super entertaining in a match that I thought was incredibly disappointing.
2: It just wasn't engrossing at all. So Gargano defends the title. He wins with the uh, Gargano escape. It just was a very weird match, a very underwhelming match. And one that, like, after, like, singing the praises of how solid he's been after the heel turn, this was, like, a big misstep. This match, like, it doesn't tank his run, but this match was just there. It was, like, a 20-minute match, have a 20-minute match, and then a very deflating finish.
1: Yeah, the, the big spot here is Gargano takes a Crunchy from the middle rope that, that did look awesome, and then they do. Gargano gets his foot on the ropes, which protects Trent's finisher to an extent, and then they go into the home stretch, but even during that big spot in the match, I just didn't feel like the crowd was into this at all. Now, again, was watching the show at a what turned out to be a low volume because of the mix. I obviously missed some stuff in the crowd earlier in the show, but I didn't get the impression that they really cared about this.
2: No, no, they did pop for the second rope crunchy, and it wasn't just like they went to the finishing stretch. They went straight to the finish. Yeah. It was the foot on the rope, and then... Gargano calls over, locks in the Gargano escape, and that's it. No go home. Nothing. Like, and it just was like a match that I believe was like twenty minutes long, and it just kind of like happened. And it's just, it, it it's something that like you would think that this match would really kind of work because Trent is never met a dumb bump he won't take, and Gargano can look impressive and vicious in that way, but it didn't really come off that way at all.
1: No, it was it was deflating. And it was just kind of a a bummer given that it was this show and a strong main event would have really changed my impression on this show because it was a real struggle. I mean, This show was just exhausting. By the time I got to this match, I was ready to be done with it, but I I knew it was Gargano and I really liked what Trent has done up to this point. So I focused on it, watched it really intently, and it still just, it didn't do anything for me. It, It is at least from the Drangate USA side of things, certainly the low point in Gargano's heel duration of his Freedom Gate run.
2: And it just like, the, 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 did you walk away from this show with the same feeling as I did? This show felt completely unnecessary, like nothing was accomplished across these three hours.
1: Well, yeah, what's the biggest angle that, that took place on this show? I mean, the Moose debut and Mr. A now has to wrestle. Is that what we got out of this?
2: I think those are, the, those are the only like two things that would be classified as like character beats at all.
1: And the two biggest stars uh, on the next night are not on the show and Roderick Strong and Chris Hero, which I, I th- you know, I don't know if the crowd had factored that in while they were sitting there. But certainly just looking at these cards back to back, this show is hurt by the lack of a Chris Hero or the lack of a Roderick Strong.
2: And I mean, no Ricochet. Ricochet was in Japan here. Yes, and no, uh, no Uha. No Uha, Uha. I think has made his last DGSA. Yes, appearance no, he, at he's this done. Point.
1: He's I, he wrestles in a on a bunch of Evolve shows over the next year, but he is he has done in Dragon Gate USA.
2: Yeah, and so like you look at this, and maybe this is like, if you're someone that like I don't believe Johnny Gargano is a Hall of Famer, but if you want to talk about his Hall of Fame case, this show. Which is pretty much on his shoulders, was one of the worst in Dragon Gate USA history. Attendance did not look that great either.
1: I, I will, I will say, I was going to bring this up. Dave says in the Observer that I they sold, I think, three hundred tickets to it. That's Dave's number that he got. I'm assuming from Gabe, and that they had packed the place. Was the the term that he used?
2: Didn't look like it to me. Didn't sound like it at all. Also, it, d-
1: it didn't sound like it. I will say that that Queen's building was it's weird. weird. But whenever they would use the floor cam and kind of pan around, I would go like, oh, there there are quite a bit of people there. They're just like buried in a back corner. But you know, I, I think attendance did all right, especially considering that Yosuke Santa Maria was the only Dragon Gate person on the show.
2: But those tickets would have been sold before Yos before everyone would have known that Yosuke was the only person on the show though, because yeah, Rio Saito got pulled, but Shima versus Giant Gargano, that should be a money match in this promotion, and it only sells three hundred tickets at this point.
1: Yeah, they did offer refunds once Shima was pulled. I you know, I'm assuming not a substantial number of people asked for their refund, but you know, it could have taken away a dozen buys or so. Sure,
2: yeah. And we had no go-home talk here. We went straight to black after Johnny Gargano won the title.
1: Which I was I liked that. I thought it was cool that Gargano escaped by the skin of his teeth and then just went to the back. And that, was, that was a redeeming moment on this show because I, I think it showed, at least in Gabe's mind, how close Gargano had come to losing the title and he just wanted to get to the back. And that is, thankfully, Revolt 2014. That is the end of that show
2: yeah <laughs> i i mean i knew this one was gonna be a rough one when we ran down the card but watching it and then talking about it boy not as bad as that one phoenix show but boy did it just was underwhelming and unsatisfying is there
1: a phoenix show that was that better you think of the show in michigan
2: no i'm thinking about the one that had uh the brawl between tommy dreamer <laughs> yeah. and john moxley yeah. and then the uh and, and then the Jack Evans and Teddy Hart versus Paul London and Brian Kendrick match.
1: Yeah, okay, just, just checking. Yeah, th- we will certainly be doing our worst Drangit USA show of all time ranking when we're done with this. And, and unfortunately, this show will be on the list. What comes the next night is Way of the Ronin 2014. We'll be reviewing this next week. It is the final show in the New York City area for Drangit USA. It comes to us from the Brooklyn Lyceum. And it features Caleb Conley versus Tim Donst, Jay Freddy versus Blake Edward Balakas, Ethan Page versus Yosuke Santamaria, a grudge match between Jigsaw and Fire Ant, a tag match between Ricochet, or I'm sorry, not Ricochet, Rich Swan and Shane Strickland against Anthony Nice and Trent Barreta, Earl Cooter, Moose, and Xavier Fate in a three way match non-title tag with the bravados taking on chuck taylor and drew gulak and then the show closes out with two title matches ar fox defending the evolved title over chris hero and johnny gargano putting the open the freedom gate title on the line against roderick strong
2: well i would say i'm hopeful that this show will turn around the fates or at least are watching our viewing enjoyment of this but boy that undercard looks dire
1: there are nine matches on this show and the first seven i am not pumped about
2: (laughs) yeah the the we warned y'all like things were going to get real rough here and i guess people like listening to us go through pain case so i remember being
1: excited for this show when i was watching live i am not excited to watch this show (laughs)
2: well well, case you you were a teenager then
1: i was i was a i was a young man i I sit here a full-grown adult with a fully developed brain at 22 years old i i know everything i'm super mature and i handle things incredibly gracefully so i will look to do the same with way of the run in (laughs) 2014
2: and and that'll do it that after the show we just talked about there are only three shows remaining in dragon gate usa and yeah i'm kind of I, i i the energy that we've had, like, we will see this through. We have a lot of stuff that we want to talk about afterwards, but we, we have to eat our vegetables before we get to dessert. That's the way I'm looking at this. Well said, Mike. And that will do it for this week, unless you have anything else you want to add in before we get out of here, Case. Oh, no, I'm done. <laughs> I, I think we're both done about the show. Uh You could follow the podcast at Open Voice Gate. You could follow me at Fujihei, and you can follow Case at underscore in your case. For Case, I'm Mike, and thanks for listening to the VoiceGate. We'll be coming back to you next week with the third to the final show of Dragon Gate USA. Take care.